nice to see the sun poking through a little bit here. You know, most people, it seems to me, um, want God as a means to something else. And please don't be quick to jump to the conclusion that uh, that means that other people want God as a means to something else. You know, it seems to be a kind of a corruption of our spiritual DNA that goes back to that catastrophe that theologians call the fall that caused the great alienation between God and human beings. We read about it in Genesis chapter 3. Let me read to you from verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And I want to point out to you, if you've never noticed it before, that the things that they desired were not things that were bad in themselves. They they desired food, which God has given to us to enjoy, They desired beauty, and they desired, if the last is the top of the list, they desired wisdom. They just wanted that good apart from God himself. God was fine as a means to the end of getting those things, but if it seemed that God was going to hold out on them, why, those things were really the end. And C.S. Lewis has observed that Our problem is that we seem to want the good apart from God himself, but there really is no such thing. That God is the original good and the origin of all good and the source of all good, the definition of what is good. There is no good apart from him. If you take God at his word, You'll want for nothing. The passage I'd like to read to you this morning is from John chapter 4, verses 43 through 53. And this is God's word. After the two days Jesus left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, The Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him, with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they 
said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. Father, grant to us today that uh, we would, by your word and spirit, examine our own hearts. And that, Lord, we would become a people who would more and more take you at your word. It's the reason you've sent Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. A while ago, I reconnected with a woman I had known when I was a young man. She had come to Christ about the same time that I had come to Christ. I hadn't spoken with her in decades or corresponded with her. Social media enabled us to catch up again. And I I inquired of her. I asked her, you know, how she was doing with her faith. And she said, oh, um, I'm, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't, I don't believe anymore. And I was saddened to hear that, and I asked her why, and she said, you know, she said, I, I believed in God. I really did, and I prayed a lot. And early on, it seemed that, that, that God answered so many of my prayers, but as time went by, my, my prayers no longer came true, and it just wasn't worth believing anymore. I, I stopped believing in, in him. And, and do you see what happened there for her God was a means to the end of getting something. And as long as she was getting those things, well, it was fine for her to trust in Christ. And friends, you know, that's a danger for all of us. Trusting in Christ means taking Him at His word. Last week, we uh, read about Jesus going uh, through Samaria in this, into this town of Sychar. And if you remember the account of what had occurred, he met this woman at a well. And uh, as he spoke with her, she was a bit surprised that he was speaking with her because of the animosity between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus, you remember, had said to her in the midst of the conversation, he said, well, go and, and call your husband. And she said, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said, well, you've spoken truly and said that there is no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. And, and the woman is, is, is pierced. She's laid bare. And she goes into the town, and she says, come and see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? And people come out to Jesus to to see him, to hear him. He goes back and spends two days in the town with them. The remarkable thing to me, as, we've, as we looked at that account, the remarkable thing to me, or one of the remarkable things of the account of Jesus at Sychar is what that account does not contain, what <coughs> did not happen at Sychar. The woman at the well didn't have her water turned into wine. The woman at the well didn't have a spring of water uh, come up right next to her house so that she no longer had to come out to the well to draw. 
but she was pierced by Jesus' word. Go call your husband and come back. And you know, as I read that account and what happened, I'm reminded of what the writer to the Hebrews told us in Hebrews chapter 4 when he said that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And the woman seems to have felt that keenly at the word of Jesus. And as Jesus goes into the town of Samaria, there's nothing here of those things which we might call signs and wonders. There was only his word. He spoke to them. He taught them. And it pierced. This woman had taken Jesus at his word. And the pattern continued over the two days that Jesus spent at Sychar. You know, it seems to me as I read this impossible that there would have been no one in Sychar who was sick, no one in Sychar who was infirm. Hard to imagine that there were none who were crippled or who were lame or who were blind. And yet there's no mention of Jesus healing anyone. No miracles, no signs, no wonders. And yet the Bible tells us that they had faith. We read many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his word, many more came to believe. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And what engendered faith in them was his word. They took him at his word. You know, God's unexpected blessings to us or his answer to prayers when we, when we pray for things, those, those things ought to be an occasion for thanks and praise, an occasion for the expression of our faith. But if that faith is real, if it's permanent, if it's lasting, those things can never be the cause of our faith. If our faith comes and goes based on whether God is answering our prayers in the way that we think he ought, our faith is in what God can do for us, or our faith is uh, in those good things for which we hope, but not God himself. Do you see the difference? It's important. If our faith comes and goes based on what God is doing for us. Jesus is just a means to an end. We're seeking some blessing beside him. And I'll just point out again that that was the occasion of the first sin. What was it that they, they wanted that, that, that 
that was at the apex of that list. It was wisdom. Wisdom is a good thing. But they wanted wisdom more than they wanted God. If you take God at his word, you'll want for nothing. You know, startlingly, the Samaritans seemed to get that. Jesus' own people did not. And so we're told here that after the two days Jesus left from Galilee, and we're told that when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. But did you see why they welcomed him? They said, for they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. And you have to look back in chapter 2 to see what occurs there. We have the account of the cleansing of the temple. It's significant to uh, understand that the, that the elite Sadducees and Pharisees looked down their noses at the common people. The Sadducees, because they were noble-born, and the Pharisees, because they had time and resources to study Torah all day long and then to scrupulously, carefully keep it as it was interpreted by the rabbis. And they looked down on the people who didn't have that kind of time, didn't have that kind of instruction and scrupulous care. Jesus had said, we're told, that a prophet has no honor in his own country. It's an odd fact that those who have access to the word of God most seem to value it least. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, the prophet Amos said, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Note that Amos didn't say it was a famine of speaking the word of the Lord. It was a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. I talked to someone uh, some time ago, a, a man, and he was telling me he was a Christian man, and he was uh, telling me about uh, his coming to faith in Christ. And as I, I spoke with him, um, I said, did you, you go to church? As a, he said, yes, I grew up in the church as a kid, but I, but I never heard the gospel there. And I said to him, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. That breaks my heart when I hear that. I, I hope that you've been able to find a, a, a more faithful church now. And he said, no, you misunderstand me. He said, I did not say that the gospel wasn't preached or proclaimed. I said, I did not hear the gospel. The Galileans welcomed Jesus, we're told, because they were at the Passover in Jerusalem. They saw him cleanse the temple, turn over the tables of the money changers, and drive out the animal merchants these things that just seemed wrong to them, but of which the Pharisees and the Sadducees who looked down their noses at them approved. And they liked that. Jesus did something that they liked. And so they welcomed him. 
and it begs the question, do you welcome Jesus into your life only when he's doing things that you like? What if he stops doing things that you like? What if you come to find out that his agenda is different than your agenda, that his will for your life is different than your will for your life? What if you find out that his will is for things that you don't like? Jesus would later lament over Jerusalem, saying that it was a city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. And was Galilee any better? Are you? Are we? You know, it's not that God is uh, harsh or unfeeling to our situations and the things that we desire. But at the root of our alienation from God is the desire for some good apart from Him. If you take God at His word, you'll want for nothing. And God aims that we should want only Him. And to accomplish that, God may answer our prayers differently than what we wanted. And so we're told that as Jesus goes uh, into Cana of Galilee, he meets a man there. Now, my translation says a, a certain royal official. The, the title there indicates that he is a, a, a minor ruler. It would be something like a mayor of a small town. That John mentions that this is in Cana of Galilee, that John mentions that this is where the water was turned to wine is important, I think. It probably indicates that the mayor had heard about that. Even though there was only a small group of people who knew that some word had spread and he heard about that. And so when Jesus came back, he sought Jesus. But his interest in Jesus is based on the hope that he can get something from Jesus once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he'd turned the water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And we read in response to that that Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders you will never believe. I think, you know, when we read that, you could certainly read that as, a, as, a, as an expression of Jesus' exasper exasperation at the situation. But I don't think that that's what it is. I think that Jesus' statement is getting at the heart of the issue. A faith in him that depends on me getting what I want is not much of a faith. And this man is in dire need. Jesus is not unsympathetic to his situation. But, but to go with this man would be to leave him exactly where he was when he first came 
seeing Jesus as a means to an end. And what Jesus does with this man is brilliant as it is beautiful. In verse 50, Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. My translation says, you may go. But the, but the original, you know, is a, a great deal more stark than that. It just says, go, your son will live. You, you see that the man says, I, I need you to come. This is what I need for you to do to me, for me. I need you to come. And Jesus says, I'm not coming. You go. Your son will live. And the boy, we're told, did live. And the man could see that it was Jesus doing, that it was a sign that pointed to the kingdom of God that had come in him. And this became an occasion for faith for this man and his whole household. But please note that it's the occasion for their faith, not the cause of it. Did you see what was in verse 50? The man took Jesus at his word, and he departed, he acted, he did what the Lord told him to do. What's your faith in Jesus like? What's it really like? Do you want him, or do you just want him as a means for gaining or achieving something else? Is your faith faltering like my friend's was because you pray and you hope and you wait, but God just doesn't seem to give you what you want? Do you see that God may do that as he did it here out of love? Jesus has come to restore you to God from a place of being alienated from him. And and the reason for our alienation in the first place, going back to the beginning, is seeing God as a means to the end of something else. We didn't want him. We only wanted him as a means to getting something else. And and you know, the truth is, is that if our hearts stay there, if they are entrenched there, if they can't be dislodged and begin to move from there, we can never be restored, never be redeemed, never be anything but alienated. And in Jesus, God comes to us and he says, trust Me. Take me at my word. If you take God at his word, you'll want for nothing. You pray with me. Father, fill us with your spirit. Uh, Lord, we, we live in a uh, fallen world and, and we feel the effects of the fall and the effects of the curse and things are not right. And, and yet, 
Father, help us in our minds. It's so hard to make the distinction. As we see those things and those indicate to us that something is wrong, not to look to you as a means merely to the end of setting things right. But Lord, that we would find our, our highest love, our greatest good in you. And in you and from you and through you flows all that is good. But help us to seek you and your kingdom first. Because it's only in you and in that kingdom that all things that we needed are added to us. And do this, we pray, for your glory and for our good. And for the sake of our great King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.